0: Greetings, this is The Pub, Straylight Magazine's podcast about all things narrative, story, and publishing. I'm Dean
1: Karpowitz. I'm Matthew Schultz.
2: I'm Kayla Eddy.
1: And I'm Daniel Morbach.
0: Today on the show, Hannibal.
1: Delicious.
3: <laughs> we always come to the show a little late. Fashionably late. Always fashionably late to every topic.
1: Fashionably late, yes. It gives us time to fully digest what we've consumed. Oh, there you go. Right. Exactly. We are
0: stylishly late, just as Hannibal Lecter is quite stylish, right?
3: Especially, the, well, the Mads Mickelson Hannibal is quite stylish. The, the fancy suits and everything, I mean, it's a, he's a dapper man.
2: He's
1: gorgeous.
0: Same thing with the Silence of the Lambs version. He's very... He's commenting on people's shoes.
1: Yeah, but he's more like Armani suits. He is. And, and the Mads Mikkelsen is more patterns. And I integrated more patterns into my suits when after seeing the show.
0: He's the herringbone cannibal. <laughs> <laughs> right? <laughs> All right. So general reactions first. We're going to talk primarily about the series... The 2015, I think, series, three seasons long. Um, We thought it would be topical for Thanksgiving. We have a delicious discussion here. But
1: general reactions
0: first. What do we all think?
1: I'm glad to have seen something that shows that humanity's capacity to produce art has peaked. Um, And now we can retire art. I'm a big fan of the show, personally. I... (laughs) I think it's very good.
0: Yeah, you said it was the peak of human achievement.
1: You know, yes. uh, I'll acknowledge it might have been hyperbole. I'm not (laughs) going to commit to it, but this might not be.
2: He's not wrong.
1: It was television's moonshot, right? Well, Kayla says I'm not wrong, so roll with that.
2: (laughs) It's like the most aesthetically pleasing show I've ever seen. It's gorgeous.
1: Well, how how does the gorgeousness of it, and the fact that, I mean, what we're looking at is usually blood and corpses and humans prepared as food, so if it's gorgeous...
2: All right, the the blood and corpses aren't the pretty part. The pretty part is Hugh Dancy and Hannibal's suits (laughs) and Alana Bloom. Looks amazing.
1: Okay, I'm going to not disagree with your second part, but I'll disagree with your first part, that the I think the corpse art is actually gorgeous itself. And I I think that it's uh, one of the occasions where gore actually serves a narrative function, not like, say, The Walking Dead, which is mostly for shock value, which is fine. That's very true. I I think that there's a narrative purpose behind seeing the gore and seeing it in in such a uh, a gorgeous way, frankly. I 100% agree.
0: I thought it was disgustingly... Beautiful. And I I also, I'll also say that I pondered over the architectural shots that are sort of after the commercial break stops and was thinking about them over and over and over again. Right. So we always come back from the sort of fade to black with the building uh, in which we're going to be, you know, in the next scene. And those are so. I don't know. The, the screen is filled with correct proportions, straight lines, right? Uh, structures. And they seem to work kind of counter aesthetically to the kind of chaos that is the sculptures of the carved bodies and so on and so forth. They're, the, they're, they're, they're sort of a counterbalance to the gore. And it's... I sort of saw it in a way as part of the idea of violence throughout that this thing, the culinary arts, right? Beneath it is this is savagery, right? So there's this structure. There are this there's the table manners, right? The table setting, everything in its proper place. But the preparation for that is absolutely savagely primal
1: i I think that's a really astute observation one that i never made is that um yeah because usually the bumps coming back from commercial is um it's an establishing shot of architecture and it it grounds you like to the ground but i think yeah um which architecture itself is a form of, of art um but the fact that you have something stable, something habitable, something safe, uh, paced out in between like people getting their throats cut open so they can be played like a cello.
0: Yeah, it's it's inside of these structures, it's beneath the surface of these structures that the chaos exists, right? It's the the sort of unveilings that take place in the rooms, the discussions that take place between you know the psychiatrist and his patient or her patient in some cases we're not sure which is which
1: well there's also so much that takes place like in wooded areas either be in mm-hmm. the minescape or in like will, will graham lives in wolf trap and how much carnage takes place there as well uh, This civilization of the architecture versus the savagery to be found out in the wilderness
0: Yeah, outside is not safe in this show.
1: I don't think it's safe, but at the same time, is this a more natural and honest expression of the characters? Um, Will Graham becomes progressively less safe to himself and those around him, but is that the truer version of himself that like he'll just wake up in the woods covered in blood? It's like, well, there's what you want to be and there's what you are and what you might be becoming versus what you're not becoming something. You're just finding out stuff about yourself that was already there.
0: Yeah. Are these realizations about ourselves or are they
1: transformations? That's one of the questions the show asks, right? Yeah. Throughout, especially in the arc of Will Graham. Kayla, what do you think?
2: I loved your comment about the architecture. I was going to say, I think that fits in really well with Hannibal's character. Just because everything about him is so precise and so careful. And, you know, that we see that in the architecture shots.
0: It's funny because I watched Silence of the Lambs afterwards. And one of the things that carried between the two, one of the things that kind of linked the two was Hannibal's uh, intolerance for rudeness, right?
2: Eat the rude.
0: Yes. You sort of see it in who's the pig the pig farmer is what's his his name verger mason verger when he's in there taking his knife and sticking it into into the the arm of the chair
1: (sighs) he gets this look from hannibal is just i am a gas
2: we are all a gas
1: how dare you sir i knew that you were vile yes you stabbed my chair (laughs) yes how bold of you
0: yes Yes. And I remember what, I re, I remember watching Silence of the Lamb or just watching Silence of the Lambs. And one of the things that Clarice says is, he won't at the end, he won't come after me. Right. And the other character who she's talking to says, what, how do you know that? And she, she says, it would be rude. <laughs> and he just won't, it won't be rude. Right. Yeah. So almost a humorous take in some ways on the, you know, the, the veil. Of sophistication that is Hannibal Lecter.
1: And I, I think that, you know, rudeness is ugly. So he rejects that. But he especially in this show more than other iterations of the character, he drives beauty. What he perceives as beauty. That might be a corpse art made with 20 innocent people, but but that's it's he does I don't think he dives into what we usually think of as savagery. He's capable of it. But he loves death when it has a spark of poetry to it. Just like, hey, look, Hannibal, I killed somebody. He's like, I, congratulations? I don't care. He's like, I killed somebody, and I turned him inside out into uh, a, a heart to yeah. express my broken heart. And yes. He's like, that, that is beautiful. <laughs> yes. Um, one of my favorite lines was, uh, he's talking to the the wolf boy, and he says... Uh, that that crying child no longer clings to you. What clings to your now? What clings to your teeth now? And he says, "Ragged bits of scalp trailing through the air like comets." And he's like, "That's beautiful, man. That's that's beautiful." He he like legitimately had like he's just been read a sonnet, and he 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 loves it. Great.
0: That's one of my biggest complaints. I was talking to Kayla about this. About the show, I have some, li- some lines that I thought, in season one, I was like, you've got to be fucking kidding me. <laughs> I think it's Hannibal who said something like, says, after a death, someone's murdered. He says, what did you see? Right? And Will says, layers upon layers of lies, betrayed by a glint. In her father's eye, like <laughs> I'm
1: like people it do not. Times yes, do <laughs> not talk to one another like that. You know, but but did it, it? Did the whole purple prose thing grow on you?
2: Yes,
0: I became impervious to the end, and I didn't like it.
2: I loved it. <laughs> okay,
1: because I love in the first. I was just going through some Hannibal clips uh, earlier today to prep for the show, and I love that when Hannibal sit and it sits down with Will for breakfast in the motel room, and he says. I think Jack thinks that you are a special little teacup that he only brings yeah. out for special guests. Yeah. And Will's like, I have, he laughs. He's like, I have no clue what this guy is. He's like, Well, how do you see me? And Hannibal like pauses. I think you're the mongoose I want beneath my house when the snake slither by. <laughs> yes. And I think it's a very knowing, like, the audience is going to be like, What the H? But that's Will's reaction. But then there's this like, I've never been described like that by another human being. And mm-hmm. I, me, Daniel, I want a human being to describe me. <laughs> like, wh- tell me about <laughs> myself, Hannibal. What kind, of, what kind of woodland creature am I?
2: <laughs> it grows on Will and it grows on us.
1: Teacups and mongooses. The, some, in, the, in the spectrum of Will Graham's psyche, it's one half teacup, one half mongoose. And if you've seen the show, it all makes sense.
0: If I had to describe the prose, I would say it is like whispers of ghosts carried away on the breeze of nausea and despair and second-rate dialogue.
2: (laughs) Beautiful. (laughs) Beautiful description.
1: (laughs) How dare you, sir? How dare you? Oh, my God. There were moments where I'm like, You know, I've been on board with this show for three seasons, but then they'll say something like, man, what the hell are you trying to say here? (laughs)
0: Yeah. Yeah. It does get a little heavy handed at times. I did want to ask a question about food, you know, since it's Thanksgiving, right? We know that violence is kind of at the core, right? Of the show. It's a meditation on violence and our beings, you know, our souls in a lot of ways. There are lots of shots of dinners, food, table settings, and so on. I didn't time it, but I could guess that there may be unhealthy uh, amounts of time spent on recipes (laughs) in a Rolodex,
1: right? Visually, I do have the Hannibal cookbook, by the way.
0: There you go. There you go. How does food tell the story? This is a podcast about storytelling. How does food tell the story in the in the uh, series?
2: Um. So I was just rewatching some of the show recently, and the first thing that comes to mind is, um, like in the very first or second episode, the girl is on the antlers, and they realize that her lungs are gone. And then it immediately cuts to a scene of Hannibal like ripping apart a pair of lungs as he's cooking. Yeah. The food in the show fits in so well with the narrative, and like. I mean, they don't even try to hide the fact that Hannibal's the one who's murdering all these people because they immediately cut to shots of him, like, ripping apart body parts and then frying yeah. them in pans and, you know, yeah. plating them with fancy techniques. And I love how they don't they don't even try to hide it.
1: He should have hopped faster. <laughs> yes, he should have. He should have, have, have hopped faster, yeah.
3: Matthew, what do you think? Uh, the way that it does food like what the thing that comes to my head is like all these these sequences of Hannibal cooking and it's like you know it's people and there's this elegance to it you know there's classical music in the background kind of playing with it and like I have we all I, I don't know if I'm the only one but he's making this stuff and I'm like that looks kind of tasty <laughs> and it's, mm-hmm. it's easy to fall into that and I think on like a cinematic level it's really interesting but like thematically it's like we're really intru- like the gore and the food there's you know it's disgusting and vile, but like there's something appealing about it, and I think that's a big part of uh, of Hannibal's arc is trying to get us to see the the elegance in killing and in, in you know gore, and I think food is kind of the bridge that they use to do that. Yeah, Play, playing off what you said, I, I think over like the first
1: scene we see uh, Will feed and uh, sorry, in the the motel scene. Hannibal feeds Will the protein scramble and you're like, Will, don't eat that, don't mm-hmm, eat that. It's people, mm-hmm. Will. But gradually throughout, and these elegant food porn presentations, you're like, okay, it does look pretty good. Until by the end, I'm like, look, straight up, if if there were if Hannibal wanted to serve me people, I would eat it. Like <laughs> I would. I would just I would do that. And I think that's the food porn is related to the corpse art in yeah. that You know, early on, it's, you know, it's blood, this poor nurse is getting stabbed up, but, you know, you got the murder tableaus, and you're like, all right, I know it's a bunch of corpses making that totem pole, or the eye is my personal favorite. Uh, You're like, but if I came across that. I would take a picture of it (laughs) and it's 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 challenging this sort of conflict between morality and aesthetics and as you give way to acknowledging the aesthetics and how beautiful this horror is by the end you're like I can't wait for him to prepare another delicious meal and show off some beautiful corpse art and you're you're rooting for him because this is a a complex guy and I, I think it's, it's eroding our morality and it's forcing us, not forcing us, it's encouraging us or persuading us to embrace the aesthetics of it all.
0: I think two things. First, much of the show's humor comes at the table. You know, uh, this meat is bitter about being eaten. She was a long pig. That bunny should have hopped faster. And they all laugh, right? Right. And so I think a lot of the humor of the show is, in many ways, lightening the acts that are taking place, right? And and very intentionally, and sometimes shot by shot, they uh, set alongside preparation of food and murder, right? Alongside one another, uh, those two acts, right, kind of taking place. And so I thought, I don't know, I thought in a lot of ways. Uh, food helps us culturally and socially tell our stories, right? And I would say, you know, so uh, if you are uh, Polish like I am, you eat certain kinds of dishes for specific reasons. There are traditions that go along with certain courses, histories to those things and and so on, right? And, and, and the show kind of... Uh, weaves some of that in. But I think, uh, ultimately, uh, the reason why this show is powerful in many ways and part of the story that it tells is a uniquely American story in in the sort of contemporary age that we find ourselves in where violence is at the core of uh, who we are and murder. Right? We have that Central thing running through our news media every single day. It's part of who who we are. We 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 love our guns. We love to hunt. We incarcerate more than any other country. We have in Wisconsin. We're very famous for our serial killers. You know, Gene Dahmer. Right. It's woven into the sort of American story, and I think in a lot of ways. The food here tells tells that story.
1: I think it's also uh, flex on factory farming. It's like, yes, yeah. pigs are delicious. I'll eat a pig. I, and, it, you know, the whole ethical butcher thing. Yeah. Hannibal mentions that. But it's factory farming gets into, can I please just have my bacon and not think about where it came from? Yeah. Or who it came from? Um, and as far as... The, the Americanism of it all. I, I think Hannibal contains my, my very favorite example of American censorship, and that's with the, uh, the angels, who, the two people who had their backs horrifically splayed open in the hotel room. In the original shot, uh, NBC said, okay, this is fine, except we see too much of their butt cracks. <laughs> that's not acceptable. So Han- So Brian Fuller, this is true, Said uh, we can cover it up with more blood digitally. That'll work. So the butt cracks bad, back splayed open, and blood covering the butt cracks. Party thumbs up. That is that's American censorship right there.
0: So fitting. I, it reminds me of uh, it reminds me of Kurtz's complaint in Apocalypse Now. Right, um, they'll let us drop bombs all over. Vietnam, but they won't allow us to write fuck on the side of uh, the planes that are dropping those bombs, right? The sort of Puritan nature of things that what we censor, violence is completely okay. We can, cover the, we can cover her nipples or her butt or his privates, right? With blood. That's okay. Um, but God forbid someone's butt crack be shown on, on television.
1: But then at the same time, then they showed the eye, which like, it doesn't show nudity, mm-hmm. but it's like, if you zoom in, zoom in like a little bit, I feel like I'm going to see a whole lot. So at yeah. the like, same time, I was really surprised the sex, an- the semi-nudity and the violence that they got away with. Cause you're like, this was on NBC.
3: <laughs> I feel like the show does a, a good job in not. And with not using a lot of sensual, sexual aspects of it, because for me, it was like a show don't tell thing. And a really salient aspect of the show was kind of like the homoerotic undertones between Will uh, and Hannibal. And that was definitely a show don't tell, like the, the tenseness of it. It was almost more of an impact because it didn't happen um so for you know I think of like the prolonged stabbing at the end of the season and like it's like they're grabbing onto each other and it's just like very sensual aspect of it and you know partially that is you know network stuff and how things would have flown over but I I do think there is something to say about the kind of very subtle visual storytelling with that kind of stuff and that's just another aspect that that the show delivers like great on.
0: Yeah, Daniel mentioned to me he was asking before the show like I put up the show notes for everyone and you know one of the things Daniel said, well, do you re- do you really want to go with the to, to the supposed kind of love between Hannibal and Will? It's sort of a flashpoint, right, for the fans. And I said, "Yes, because it's there, right? It's it's supported by the show. The show calls attention to it." other characters besides Will and Hannibal acknowledge that there may be some kind of strange love thing going on. Right. And I found really interesting without even knowing any of the sort of fan stuff. I found really interesting the, the heart H A R T the, the deer, right. Um, as a sort of symbol, uh, in poetry and, uh, chivalrous, uh, representation and symbol, the pursuit of the white heart, the stag, is a is a love story, and it's that the show understands that, turns the stag black, and who is the stag? But either the becoming of Will, as we get later into the season, or Hannibal.
1: It's interesting, um, like because I've gone through the show five or six times at this point just when you follow just the stag which begins in his manifestation when he sees a girl on a stag head surrounded by ravens which is why it's a feathered stag Mm -hmm. and seeing how it tracks his self-conscious and like as Hannibal's about to knock on the door or something he sees a flash of it or early on it's him connecting that this copycat is this also killer, and these five murders are connected. And then he's—it's like, wait, shit! I happen to know this copycat killer, and it's—it's it's real interesting following the the feathered stag throughout the uh, mostly two, but a little bit into the third season.
0: It's sort of a MacGuffin, oddly, right? As a plot device.
1: Uh, I don't know if I think it's MacGuffin, but because I I think it adds a layer to Will's fractured psyche. I think it, it's, yeah. it's not just Will has an empathy disorder. I think it's also his subconscious is trying to talk to him, and his subconscious is as jacked up as his conscious mind, and it's his subconscious, I think, that is screaming at him through this stag.
0: I also thought maybe the, I don't, this, this is maybe reaching, but I thought the feathers on the stag might be a, a nice callback to Clarice Starling, you know, the the bird, Rap,
1: rap. Maybe. I would just say that in the context of the show, like, Clarice hasn't shown up yet, so...
0: I think this is actually kind of outside of... It's just kind of based on the characters too, right? I mean, it's... Is it, does it, what do you mean? Is it supposed to fit chronologically? Because if you match up, like, the cars and all of that, it seems as if the, the more recent Hannibal <laughs> is certainly more contemporary. They're not driving around in Pintos and things.
1: Oh, yeah. Like... Yeah, the the books very obviously take place in the eighties. Yeah, like if you just stopped it at the end of season one or two or something or three and a half, you could say it's sort of a prequel to Red Dragon, but not really. Yeah,
0: I don't think it wanted to go the route of Stranger Things and do the nostalgia thing.
1: That was one of the things I found intriguing about the show. Was like you're doing a show on Hannibal Lecter. First off. What the eight? What? I guess I have to watch this um, from episode one, and then I was like, "You're putting them in the modern day." I don't, I don't get it, but it worked.
0: It worked. Uh, So that's the last thing I wanted to kind of focus on here. Uh, Why is it still so powerful today? I mean, besides the fact that it was just plain good storytelling, it's very well written. The acting is great right? Why is it that it resonates, uh, throughout, uh, you know, contemporary history?
3: I feel like Hannibal has kind of solidified himself as just like a, you know, distinct cultural character within our, with our stuff. You know, I think of, you know, great American characters and like, like both literary and film. And he's, he's up there. He has like, uh, we have this idea of him that proceeds and defines his character. So I think the show, and I think part of what we were saying earlier with the contemporary modern aspect of the show, I think it has this long-standing appeal because it's this really well-drawn out narrative that's that's a lot more appealing for maybe a modern audience than the books or the older movies could be. I just think the show does a, a great job of of like artfully pulling off stuff in a story and like visual. Stuff that um makes it like really appealing in the long term.
2: Yeah, I think the visual aspect is is part of why it's so popular right now. I mean, the you know with Donna Tart and the Secret History, the uh, the Dark Academia aesthetic is is really popular Mm. on the internet, and I think Hannibal fits really well into that. And I think people have really latched on to Hannibal and Will's connection, and um the dark humor of the show. I think also. especially right now, people are very attached to that.
1: I, I think um, I'll be, as much as I love it, I'll be the first to admit it's definitely not a show for everybody. Mm-hmm. You, a lot of people won't be able to really sit through it for a variety of reasons. So I'm, I'm extremely surprised at how it's got some real legs on it mm-hmm. and it, the fan base keeps growing and people keep finding it and finding something to love about it, which I'll be the first one to say is a little surprising to me. Yeah. But it is a surprisingly multifaceted show because you have the aesthetics, but you also have like this this queer sort of dialogue, and it's a horror TV show, but it's surprisingly funny. It's like an extremely extremely dark comedy throughout, not just like I'm gonna pin a joke in here. I think there's hilarity throughout the themes, um, but maybe it's more simple as like. I, I want to live out my fantasy of eating my neighbor who keeps mowing his lawn at four o'clock in the morning being rude about it. And Hannibal tells me it's okay to want to kill this guy.
0: I think that ultimately it's popular, maybe built on that, that connection that we have. That's why it has the legs that it does. It's, it was so surprising to me that something so... It's, it's sort of like Kub- there's moments of Kubrick, there's moments of David Lynch. We were talking about David Lynch. These kaleidoscopic montages that are happening. It's like, how the hell do you get away with that on primetime television? But they did. And maybe it's because it's so much our story. It's like we've moved from dealing with you know the problems of America through characters in the 19th century like Huckleberry Finn to Hannibal Lecter, right, in in today's age.
1: Well, happy Thanksgiving. Enjoy your turkey. (laughs) That is probably turkey.
3: Are
2: you sure it's a turkey?
1: (laughs) Oh, mum is the word. Never ask the details. It spoils the surprise.
0: We wanted you to think about what your relatives were feeding you today. (laughs) Today. Uh, Before you watch unbutton and watch a couple of hours of football. Think about just what it is (laughs) that you're putting in your mouths. The pub is produced on that series of tubes that we all know as the internet from the studio at Underdark which doubles as my basement and office. We post new episodes every Monday and you can listen in wherever you download your favorite podcasts. You can also find us at straylightmag.com where we publish new stories, poetry, art, and of course, podcasts. Don't forget to follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and at The Pub Podcast on Twitter. Until next time, thanks for listening to The Pub, Straylight Magazine's podcast about all things narrative, story, and publishing.